Hello, I am Megan Miles, and this is The True Crime Bride. Welcome to the True Crime Bride. My name is Megan Miles, and today we have a very, very, very famous person on the podcast, Maria Pedro. Um, she was the original Junie B. Jones in. How dare you! <laughs> How dare you! All out of all the things, <laughs> she was the original Junie B. Jones in Part Two of Theaterworks USA. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> no, for real. This is my very, very dear friend, Maria Pedro. No. Not Pedro. Absolutely not. Pedro. Don't say it. Just kidding. If you say it, like I still love you, it's fine. Everybody says yeah. it. <laughs> this is one of my dearest friends from my acting life, my acting career. Okay, so for context, <laughs> Maria and I are both actors, and we met doing a national tour of Junie B. Jones, The Essential Survival Guide to School. Very important work. And we sure did it. And you know what? Fun fact. We actually just discussed this. The first thing that we ever talked about was Maria and I were in the hallway of a studio in New York City waiting to go into a callback, a dance call, because dancers. (laughs) And um, she was like, hey, do you want to watch my sister's wedding video? topical for this podcast this is really good though like if you need the link like oh i was put it in the comments post it on my instagram for everybody i I think the vimeo link is like expired but i'll find it yeah whatever i'll I'll buy it on youtube i will contact the photographer and buy it but i was like yes i do want to watch that and so i sat there and i don't know you i don't know anyone in your family and i watched it and it was beautiful did you cry probably (laughs) same i was very (laughs) fragile (laughs) so same same. so I do want to say that Maria is one of my bridesmaids can't wait everyone that's on I ask like uh you know when Aaron's on I say what did you do for wedding planning this week when Aaron was on I was like what was the best part for you I want to ask how did you feel were you surprised when I asked you to be a bridesmaid oh my god that's a great question Yes, I was very surprised. The way that you asked was so special. You FaceTimed me out of the blue and you asked me and I was so verklempt and honored. I forgot how I asked you. Yeah, it was, I was so surprised in the best way. But then also when we went to Rancho, best restaurant in Hell's Kitchen, just by the way, like if they want to give us some dollars for ads, like that's fine. Um, Those marks. They definitely don't do marketing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But (laughs) whatever. (laughs) But we went to Rancho and you gave me such a thoughtful gift and I still have like all the pieces to it. And just know that there's so many people who adore you. And you have such a community of wonderful people to be included in that mm. was really touching to me. And yeah, I could not be more honored. I know that sounds so cliche, but I truly mean it to stand up there on your special day okay. and and witness you guys 
share your love and mm-hmm. and, and make it official. So I know oh I was very God. surprised. I love you so much. And no, we're going to drink lots of tequila. What? I'm so... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so... That's so touching I that you like feel that strongly about it. Because I know that people like ask people and it can be very what's the word like expected or it's, it's a just burden. kind of a yeah, yeah a like, burden a lot of people f- like feel like it's a lot to ask mm-hmm. on both sides like they feel like that's a lot of you to ask of me and that's a lot of you know I know a lot of brides feel bad asking yeah, so like, it's that. such a like lovely thing that you understand how important it is for me and that you feel it's important for you and so it's, it's lovely I forgot that I asked you that way I think my aunt passed just had passed away and you yeah, were like I wanna... what can I do for you I was like you know what can I FaceTime you and you were like yeah of yeah, course like, anything you want and I and I was like hey do you want to be my bridesmaid and you were like okay like not where I saw that going <laughs> I thought you were like can you like yeah. t- tend my farm like, yeah. like <laughs> can you handle my harvest <laughs> <laughs> and you're like bt doves want to be my wedding and i was like oh, okay <laughs> yeah because i think i was like very much i was just like overcome with grief and i'm like oh, life is so short i don't want to like because i think i had been meaning for like i, I was waiting for this perfect moment to yeah. ask everyone i'm like fuck that like let's none of this it. is perfect let's no. sh- i want to ask you and i want to ask you right now yeah. so yeah it was cool it was really cool and by the way i really don't think that if like you have the mentality that being in somebody's wedding mm. is a burden say no let's talk about just it just say I feel like I'm not in a place to do this right now. And I love you and I'll support you. I'll be there if there's anything that I like, like can be a part of. I would love to, but right now this is not what I can do. But I think the worst thing to do is to say yes and then create a negative weight surrounding the wedding. Because if you're not willing to spend the money, if you're not willing to put in the time and the energy and the love that the couple deserves on their special day, it's okay to say no if you know that you can't be there for them in that way. Yeah. So I know that's like hopefully not. I actually do think it happens a lot in people's bridal parties. There's like always like th- some downers. Oh, who, oh, there's every time. Who are going to complain about your choices or or mock what you're doing or say like, I can't believe she's making us do this or this is so extra and whatever. That That's not the kind of person I want standing up there with me. No. And it will get back to the bride somehow. So don't. Oh, there's don't people, do a lot that. of times people just say it right to the bride. Right. And I, I mean, I'm, I I don't experience that with the people in my bridal party, but okay. So I agree completely with you like a hundred percent, but like, that's so hard and uncomfortable. And I feel like it's not probably like for most people, it's like not reasonable, even though it should be to say no. And I don't know if that's them thinking it's inappropriate and they feel bad and that's their problem. Or mm-hmm. is it the bride is not really creating a, it's not a genuine question. Mm-hmm. It's an expectation. Right. Whereas like when I asked people to be in my bridal party, it genuinely was a question. Like, would you like to do this? Now I understand that like, I'm presenting you with this like gift. And if you say that no, that would be pretty fucking yeah. shitty if you were like, no, but I also would have to respect that. But if you are choosing to, um, it's kind of like when you, somebody proposes to you publicly and you like say yes. And then later you're like, I don't mm. think so. That's such Maybe a good point. like later you like think about it, and then right. <laughs> and then you can be like, "This was I was so taken aback in the moment. This was so kind. I'm yeah. so honored." But actually, I'm looking at my life in the next couple of years, and I just don't think that I can do this. That's that's, that, that's so valid. Respectful. Yeah, it is, and I think in the long run, it's respectful, even though it's uncomfortable. And also, and this is I don't want to put this like completely on the bride or the groom either, because this ca- could happen with groomsmen as well. Absolutely. But if you are going through the people in your life and 
you're like, I don't know if that person is going to be so fun on the day. And like, I really hope that they can be there on our special day, but maybe this isn't a role for them. Maybe there's another role that they could play in the wedding in the planning. You also don't have to just have your bridal party at the bachelorette or at like, and obviously the showers is going to like, that's going to involve more people. So you can still include people who are important to you, but if you know them and know what their abilities are or their strengths or their weaknesses, and you think, oh, maybe this isn't going to be for them. Mm-hmm. I think that's also something to consider when you're asking people to be a part of your wedding yeah. party. Not, I mean, like, I'm not planning a wedding. I mean, I hope soon. Eric, you listening? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. I, I do think, like, that is, that sounds like it's something to consider. Yeah. Um, and really, that just, like, comes down to, like, the people who are going to bring a positive energy and celebrate your love and not be resentful of it mm-hmm. and are going to do their best to be there for you yeah as you navigate like sometimes a really hard time weddings are difficult Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and they can be really hard to plan there's a lot of emotions surrounding it for Mm -hmm. whatever reason and your bridal party your 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 wedding party I should say both sides Mm -hmm. are so important to be there for many different needs yeah there's also a lot of different ways to involve people in your wedding Mm -hmm. that cost them nothing yeah so just to consider but I do want to add one more thing about you. If you feel comfortable sharing, we Absolutely. could always, you are currently a master's student yes. studying social work. Uh huh. And I would like, I just wanted to mention that because a, it's fabulous and amazing, Thank you. but also like what we're going to be talking about is like an interesting thing. I don't know if that, you know, definitely coincides it, like literally with social work, mm-hmm. but I think it's valuable to say like, you're coming from a point of view of that and you're studying a lot of things having to do with society right now. And so mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. People will have that perspective. I know. It's going to be interesting to look at this from systemic issues and psychological issues. Like there's a lot of clinical work. There's a lot of macro focus in social work, Mm -hmm. understanding people's environments, understanding people's backgrounds, where they're coming from, what are their motives. So there, there might be a lot of connections. And I even like think like listening to your past episodes, I definitely have a different perspective. And whether or not we get into all of that in talking about the case is one thing, but I do think it's valuable in looking at some of these situations situations in a different light I should Mm -hmm. say so yeah let's get into it so this uh specific case is something I researched on my own but also I watched season one episode two of wedding and a murder on oxygen network which everyone should go watch if especially if you're into these stories I probably will be covering a bunch it's a really nice catalyst and then into the rest of the research so I wanted to be transparent that that's where I got a lot of this info from. This episode is the kidnapped country couple. Wow. What a hook. What a fucking hook. Okay. This is a story of the newly married 34-year-old Rusty and 46-year-old Becky Porter. This is their kidnapping and murder that happened in the Ozarks, which is in Missouri. Uh, I know it because of the show Ozark. Also... Fab. I, like, I thought you were going to tell me you know this story. I was like, get the fuck no, out no, of no. here. No, <laughs> just, no, just the Ozarks. <laughs> I love it. Ozark. I love Ozark. I, uh, great. Great show. Oh, great show. Great show. So we are in Willard, Missouri in 2009. In this area, it's almost like the bygone era. It's a very like idyllic town. Marriage is very sacred. Like families live here like for generations, all together on like the same property for generations and generations and generations. It's like no one really leaves this town. It's a very unique experience, like especially for us. We didn't grow up in something like that. Rusty Porter announces his engagement to Becky Ellsworth 
on his family's Willard farm. And the family was familiar with her because she lives in the area. And like, again, families live there forever and ever. So they're like, oh, Becky, we know her. He literally was like, I just got engaged. Do you remember that girl, Becky? Can you imagine? <laughs> like, like, everyone knows everyone. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> but also like, did anyone know you guys were dating? Like, what do you mean? Do like, you, you know that girl? Yeah, you know, like, imagine me getting engaged to Aaron. I'm like, do you remember that guy? Uh, yeah, we got engaged. It's like so, it's so foreign to me, but that was, that was her story. And so Rusty's parents, Paul and Kay, were super excited and were like, oh my God, let's, we're going to help you prep the wedding. We would love to be part of it. Fabulous. He was yeah. like, great. Happy. Everyone's happy. June 12th, 2010. It's their wedding day. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. Rusty's father, Paul, walked Becky down the aisle and he was like very, very honored to do so, which is absolutely lovely. All things considered, everyone felt that they were blissfully in love and excited to start their lives together. Becky was thrilled, but felt a big void because she had two adult children who chose not to come to the wedding. This is her daughter, Jessica, and son, Corey. Jessica and Corey said in interviews that they didn't have a relationship with their mother at the time. And Corey said that he really regrets that now that he didn't go because this was a huge moment for her. And he really regrets that. Like he can look now objectively and be like, you know what? This was a huge moment in her life. And I was so hung up on whatever. I really regret that, which I get that. We all hindsight is very 2020. They didn't like Rusty because Rusty wasn't their father. And there was a 12 year age difference between the two of them. And they weren't comfortable with it. Like I would never live that experience, but right. And I, I get, know that that can be very hard. Yeah. And frustrating, I'm sure. But then like the fact that that emotion is so deep and then you, you make such a drastic choice to not be there at all. I, you, yeah. You really mu- yeah. And again, I'm not judging that. Like that must be so hard. And that's yeah. that, you know, that choice is, yeah, it's a big one. You can one. see from both sides, like mm-hmm. how that was probably a very challenging decision. Right, right. Everyone said, including her children, that Becky was a devoted person in her entire life, in church, to her family. She was a great person. She had no enemies and had a big influence on every person's life that she was around. Everyone loved her. She was just one of those really solid, wonderful people. When her marriage ended, her first marriage, she met Rusty online. And despite the age difference, they had a ton in common. They were both very into cars, actually. Becky had a brand new Mustang and Rusty would like fix up cars and was like always working on them. And so they would like talk about cars and like do... If someone wanted to talk to me about a car, I'd be like, I don't know what you're saying, and but I'm so happy for you. <laughs> I'd be like, what color is it? Yeah, like what color? <laughs> like th- there are people, though, I know that just like have cars and fix them up, and that's what they do. And like know what the parts are supposed to be. What are you What are you talking about? Imagine me having to do – there are people that like do their own oil changes. Absolutely not. What What are you talking about? Where Where is the oil? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know where the spare tire was in my car. Eric's like, oh, check like the, you know, the, the spare tire. And yeah. I'm like – where he's like you know in the back and I'm like looking in the trunk he's like it's it's not in the it's not in the trunk what I was like <laughs> wait it's what? not it's like underneath oh it's like under the yeah. trunk I, yeah underneath but I was like opening the trunk <laughs> you're like there's no tire here <laughs> I'm like there's no space he's like there is and he's like, like there's not he's like I'll be there soon yeah he's like don't that's touch that's why I have a AAA car yes I know same. I need to like renew that or something yeah. anyway Rusty and Becky yeah we'll talk about them <laughs> so as a wedding gift Rusty's mother Kay gave Rusty and Becky the family farmhouse on their 120 acre property so that they could settle down and start their life together I remember entire families lived on the same plot of land together and like all these separate houses like generations of families it was like normal they're like hey we have a house a couple acres away you want it like amazing 
Yeah. Like, but also like, what? Yeah. (laughs) What kind of world do you live in? What kind of world is this? (laughs) So she basically said like, look, you're going to inherit this anyway. So like, do you just like want it now? No one's living in it. To which I say, great. Why are we waiting to enjoy things when people are gone? What is that? I, why should that house sit there empty when like people could enjoy like that's what it's there why for. maria tell me i was like um, <laughs> because because i don't know <laughs> but i was like i agree that's a really good point Kay. thank mm. you for giving them the house thank you so this farmhouse was also very close to where becky's children live so it was like a huge positive it was like win-win for everybody you get a free house you're near your kids great we're gonna start this life together the house needed a ton of of work but they made a project out of it they did a lot of work in the house together remodeling new floors like they made it like a thing that they did as a couple I love that for them but it sounds like a nightmare to me yeah I just work (laughs) not my dream (laughs) we Aaron and I drive around I'm like I really am drawn to like older houses that's more my I think it's so cozy and nice and Aaron grew up in an older house so he's like look away we're not living in an older house like this I want something new like it's so much work and you know like and I'm like ah, I don't know it's kind of cute but I also know like it would literally end our marriage (laughs) I we don't work well together in that situation yeah no I'm okay with like some renovations but like a total total like flip I'm like that is people do it really aggressive but people also that are like really talented at that like Aaron and I don't have those skills so we're not trying to like I already told you I can't find my tire my spare tire in my car like you think I can remodel a floor (laughs) I know I'm like I can't even put a light bulb in a lamp sometimes I'm like what's going on here (laughs) so fixing up this house opened up the door to fix her relationship with her children actually especially her son Corey he would come over and help and like work on things and then they would talk and have dinner and they kind of like bonded over that which is really Mm. nice she eventually too made peace with her daughter Jessica so it was was nice it was like this gateway a lot of people like mend their relationships by like doing something together Mm, and like finding something to be teammates on and cool like I should fix floors with a lot of people in my life (laughs) and so you know what maybe not actually (laughs) so Becky was finally feeling content on the farm except for occasional conflicts with Rusty's family. Now they all lived on this 120 acre property in again, different houses all over the property. 500 yards away lived his uncle, Robert Campbell. Now Robert felt that he owned the property and Mm. that he had a right to rule over the entire property. Mm. And he felt that he could control like what went on on the property as well. Oh, not true. No, but Robert Campbell felt, that that's that was his yeah that was his job his duty he was like I'm the king here for no for no reason Lord Royal yeah. Robert Campbell owner of the land are you keeping that good <laughs> I think he was like the oldest brother oh so like his Rusty's mother Kay her oldest brother was Robert Campbell and so I guess he felt he I'm the oldest brother. I'm the man. I'm going to rule over this farm. Like, it's like, shut up, Robert Campbell. Yeah. You don't know shit. Ever, Robert Campbell. I love that you have to use the full name every time. Robert Campbell. <laughs> Robert. Robert Campbell, get out of my house, Robert Campbell. <laughs> you ruined soup for me. <laughs> you ruined soup. So in early spring 2011, Becky's kids, they were around a lot more, they noticed that Rusty and Becky, so their mother, installed security cameras at their house, which like rose an immediate red flag to them. They're like, what the heck is this? 
Corey especially was upset. He actually went out and bought his mom a gun because of it. Um, because he was like, if she's concerned for her safety, I want her to have a gun. Things I would never do for 1000. Like I would never even fucking consider it. And I just, I'm not Corey, like go off Corey. Like if that's what you, if you want to protect your mother and that's how you felt you could protect her, like, okay, Corey, like let's go. So now the date is April 18th, 2011 and Corey and Jessica become super concerned when a whole weekend goes by and they kept playing phone tag with their mother. That was very, very unusual, especially because Jessica and Becky were in like constant communication as like mothers and daughters. And it was odd that they kept missing each other. Like it was like, this is like the craziest thing. Like we've never gone this long without communicating. That would freak me out too. Mm -hmm. Finally, after an entire weekend on Sunday night, Jessica gets a hold of her mother. Becky said that she was feeling sick and had food poisoning the whole weekend. And she said that she will see how she is tomorrow morning. And that's it. And Jessica was kind of like, okay, like, I'm so sorry. You know, I think she was kind of, I got the impression based on how she spoke in the interviews that she was like, okay, like that makes sense of why you would never answer any of my texts. But, Mm -hmm. you know, based on the camera thing and like, you're just like basic discomfort, it seems at home, like it just, it really upset Jessica. You know? Yeah. Weird. It's a little weird. Yeah. A little weird. But if you're sick, you're sick. And that she spoke to her mother. Okay. The next day, Jessica can't get a hold of Becky again. After calling and texting several times. And she had said, like, I'm going to speak to you tomorrow. And she just could not get a hold of her. So by 11 p.m., with no word from her mother, she gets in the car and goes over there. She arrives after midnight to a silent farmhouse. Her mother's car was in the driveway. And she was standing. So Jessica was standing outside of the house, looking at the house. Her mother's car is in the driveway. And she could literally smell bleach from outside of the house. The main doors of the house were wide open. There was two lights on inside the house. So she ran around to the back door and she's like yelling for her mom, banging on the door. And she was just like too scared to go in the house alone. Like the, the doors are wide open, but she's like, I'm not fucking going in there, which I don't like just same. I mean, she knew like something's wrong and like the, it, your gut doesn't lie. Right. I mean, I guess sometimes it does, but Jessica in this scenario, like knew the whole weekend. She's like, something's weird. Yeah. Something's weird. Yeah. I, I feel terrible because I'm sure there's lots of layers there for her being like what went on and she, whatever you know right I just would hate to have been in that situation really really scary she called 911 and Sergeant Alan Bear responded to her call he immediately arrives and smells the bleach and he's like okay red flag suspicious it's like an immediate like something obviously happened here yes they entered the home they walked through and everything seemed like really neat and orderly and that was until they got to the master bedroom it was in massive disarray bedding all over the floor the mattress was twisted off the bed like it was like so there's obviously the box spring and the mattress was like catty corner off of it like somebody had been like drug off of it or something like that it was obvious there was a struggle becky's purse and cell phone were strung about the room too and jessica said like she absolutely never left home without her phone or her purse Mm -hmm. something's wrong there was no sign of the couple nothing The police did a search of the parameter of the house and they found that the security cameras were broken off of the house and the wires connecting back inside to the house were cut. Obviously, it looked very suspicious and it absolutely was foul play here. Mm -hmm. Forensics were called to the house and it was officially an investigation. Thank God. You know, there's a lot of cases where they go to the scene and they don't call forensics right away. 
And then the scene gets contaminated and all these things. And so it's always like really encouraging when I read about these crimes and I and I see that they immediately shut down the, right. the scene and they're like, this is an investigation. This is a crime scene yeah, because it doesn't happen all the time. I feel like, yeah, that would be the first thing you would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder why that is not consistent. So the family was informed. Kay and Corey, so Rusty's mother and Corey, Becky's son, they got to the scene around 4 a.m. and it was setting in like this is really serious. And it was more investigators kept showing up and showing up and more different like departments kept showing up. And I can't imagine just (laughs) sitting there and not knowing like at four in the morning what you're being called for. And you get there and you keep seeing like more departments like forensics and dogs and like all these people are coming. I mean, it's just I would have a fucking meltdown and I'm sure that anybody would. Right. The next day, Corey and Jessica organized a search 10 miles east with 30 to 40 folks in Springfield, Missouri. They took time off from work and they all drove up and down the interstate, stopping at like every single stop, putting signs up everywhere, spoke to every single person they could possibly see and just like everything they could possibly think of. These are like two kids whose mom is missing. They like hit the ground running and tried everything they could to like assist the police, do their own thing, everything they could do. Like anything you would do for your parent. I know. Like what a, I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't, that is terrifying. Back at the farm, the police were searching with helicopters and on foot. There's 120 acres of this Porter farm. They were looking and looking and looking. I mean, there was was a huge, huge job. It was all over the news. It was a highlight on every broadcast. 72 hours later at the farm, letters were found written by Becky to Rusty in the house that suggested that there were issues between them and in their marriage. They were about like a strained marriage, how they fought a lot, how they struggled financially. Becky worked a lot and Rusty had sustained injuries in his back and his neck that made it hard for him to work. So that put a lot of pressure on their marriage. But does that have anything to do with the disappearance or these just letters? But also like, listen, you find one thing. It makes sense. Like you're looking for anything and that could potentially be a lead. Like, okay, maybe like what happened here? Right. It's a part of the story. So a week after Jessica, the daughter's initial 911 call, it is April 25th, 2011. There was another homicide in the area, which like nothing happens in this town. (laughs) So it was like incredibly shocking that there was two crimes that could happen in such close proximity to each other a week apart. It was an older couple named the Wellinghams. Another couple? An older couple, yes. Named the Wellinghams who were stabbed to death in their own home in a botched robbery. So was this coincidence? Was this a pattern? Well, the only similarity was that they were both Christian couples and married. That was literally it. And that they lived in this area. Right. Which is like... Enough. Enough. (laughs) Yeah. It's for nothing to ever happen and then for this to happen. And and two couples. Like, you know, this is... Soon after, though, 23-year-old Jose Huckleberry was arrested for the Wellingham's murders and was ultimately deemed unrelated to the Porter's disappearance. So it's just a weird thing. And of course, everyone's like, they have to be related because there's no such thing as coincidence. But truly, actually, they had no relation, which is really bizarre. So back at the farmhouse, the search continues. They find restraining order papers between Rusty and his uncle, Robert Campbell, in the house. Now, Robert Campbell had a real issue that Rusty and Becky were given this farmhouse by his sister, Kay. He thought it was his. Uh, That's my house. Uh, so much so that he believed that he could enter and exit the house whenever he pleased come and go stop he's like this is my house no so he would just this is not his house and he would walk in he would do things move things whatever it didn't matter he's like i own this house what is wrong with you i why are you like why are people like that maria i i why i don't know why would someone be like that just like be happy you have a house it's entitlement 
Yeah. Wow, when you think you're entitled to something, that is your logic. It is yours. That's there's no no issue. Yeah. So the beef between Rusty and his uncle Robert Campbell goes way back from when Rusty was a child, like a literal child. Robert didn't like Rusty. <laughs> Sorry, what? What do you mean? What? Why do you hate each other? You're a grown man. Why do you hate a child? What the fuck? First He's your grade, nephew. First grade, something happened. <laughs> yeah, like what did he do? Bad blood yeah, recess. <laughs> fuck off. So Robert would call Rusty lazy, and he didn't feel like he did anything right. He didn't earn his keep. Earn your keep. You're a you're a you're a child. What do you mean? I, like you didn't you like, earn your keep. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, Robert Campbell. For real. Well. Maybe they weren't thrilled with Robert either because besides being an absolute asshole, Robert Campbell was a criminal. He was a damn criminal. He stole and resold trailers, four-wheelers, and equipment from neighbors and other places and resold them. And he'd do this like on Becky and Rusty's property. He would do his criminal activity on like their area of land. The audacity. And Becky and Rusty were like, not fucking cool yeah <laughs> can you not do that in our backyard I know. you have a backyard yeah also can you stop committing crimes <laughs> and coming into our home <laughs> yeah can you fucking relax <laughs> so like that makes sense of why they were like installing these cameras right. they obviously had run-ins with him and they were like you're not allowed to come here and they had the cameras now and so it was yeah it was just like imagine being in your own home and feeling unsafe or feeling like you can never yes. unless he's a family member who like lives right over there and, and like you you guys have a new marriage, like you're newlyweds, you're trying to get your life together. And this man, this Robert Campbell is stealing people's fucking trailers. Guess who's not invited to Christmas? <laughs> Robert Campbell. Robert Campbell. <laughs> but also like, how do you steal a trailer? I like, I was listening to that and I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Imagine just like seeing someone like sneak into your yard and they're like, I'm just going to drive away with this trailer real quick. No one's going to know. No one's going to see me <laughs> like, in this like town of 12 people. Yes. That's the thing everyone knows. No, like, that's my trailer. <laughs> like, <laughs> like how far do you get with this trailer? He like paints it pink. He's like, it's not yours. <laughs> <They're> like... <laughs> so police started to finally look into Robert. Thank God. <laughs> I don't know if it was the restraining order papers that like finally set them off. They're like, I don't know. Maybe this, maybe they weren't cool with this guy. Sergeant Bayer locates and questions Robert and he had an alibi. He was hundreds of miles away with his wife in Texas, and he had offered his phone records and everything. He was like, look, I have nothing to hide. Here's my phone records. And he was airtight. He wasn't there. There was no way. Wow. So they had nothing. It was horrible. And it was just like this black cloud hovering over this family. No, and nobody knows what happens. And weeks are going by. And like, they have nothing. Oh, God. No leads. That gives me like chills up my spine. Because yeah. I would be like, I would, I feel like I would never sleep again. No. June 12th, 2011. So this is like... Two months later, Becky and Rusty's first wedding anniversary comes, and they're still missing. And the farmhouse where they lived mysteriously caught flame and burnt to the ground. Uh, what? I'm sorry? Not suspicious at all, Robert Campbell. Okay. <laughs> no. Robert I'm Campbell still in Texas. Texas. <laughs> I believe him. I believe him. Airtight. I, Airtight yeah. alibi. There, there's something else around that. <laughs> He's like in also the bushes. Like, what are you doing in Texas? <laughs> so after three months of no leads, no answers, this is what's fucking going down. So there's a jailhouse informant who comes forward saying he was approached prior to his incarceration by a man named Tony Friend at a bar. Tony bragged that he took two birthdays and that it was Rusty and Becky's. Taking two birthdays means like two lives. 
Tony has a absolutely horrendous and horrific record of violence, assault, and stolen properties. So the informant is in jail. He has like nothing to gain from this, but he was just like, oh, well, like someone told me about this. So like, I wanted to let you know, which like, thanks. Nice. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm sure he like maybe got something out of it. I don't know. Yeah. Like a, like a pack of cigs or something. I don't know. But listen, they had nothing up until this point. So they were like, oh, okay, we have something. Wow. But why would he target these newlyweds that he has literally no history with? Like, what is this? Tony and his wife, Wendy, who happened to be in jail for other charges, were questioned, but stonewalled the police. And detectives pulled phone records. And sure enough, there were communications in and around the farm the night that they went missing. So Tony and Wendy were on that farm that night. Oh, shit. (laughs) The people that were there were Tony, his wife, Wendy, their son, Philip, and their nephew, Dusty Hicks. Please say that name again. Dusty <laughs> Hicks. I'm sorry. That's it. That's his name. <laughs> Police could see that they were in a desolate, remote area where absolutely nothing was out there. They, they were in the middle of literal nowhere. The perfect place to hide a body if you're going to hide a body. Like, what are you doing out there? Family? Nope. Maybe they're maybe they're camping. Sure. Why are you guys assuming the worst? What the heck? No, they're there to murder. <laughs> Family murder. Woo-woo. Again, you guys, I say this literally every episode. If you have a cell phone, well, okay, first things, don't commit crimes. No. Don't fucking murder anybody, you idiot. That's the first one. Yeah. Second, if you have a cell phone, you're never gonna get away with anything. Period. We're all being tracked. Tracked, recorded. Like, stop They're, it. Like, you're texting, you're communicating. What like, is wrong with you? Yeah. And thank God, because, like... Thank God, because there's, there's the idiots that don't realize that for some right. reason. Yeah. And Great. Murder works people, out. Yeah. Sheriffs spent the next three weeks doing extensive searching, combing through this wilderness, and it took them a long time. But on July 21st, they stumbled across an abandoned, broken-down cabin... And they found two badly decomposed bodies, like skeletal remains. And you could tell that these folks were murdered. Zebra pajama pants were located at the scene, which belonged to Becky and were used to identify her. Pathologists were able to put together their final moments. And they believe that they were each shot one time in the head from a higher position as they were kneeling. So what is the motive here? Like, why would Tony and his entire family do this? No one would talk. Nobody would mention anything. Nothing. Completely stonewalled them. That was until December 17th, 2012. They really started to lay into Philip, the son. Mm. And he starts talking. (gasps) Wait, how old was he? He was like 20. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So young adult. Young as hell. Yeah. Yeah. He said that he was solicited by his father for a job. A job. Wow. $100,000 for two birthdays. Philip said they didn't feel comfortable, but that didn't sit well with his father. So, yeah, the plan, the night of April 18th, the night that they went missing, Tony, Wendy, Dusty, and Philip met up and planned to get into the house, zip tie them. Dusty and Tony would have guns and Philip would zip tie them. Wendy would then pull up outside with the truck and they'd load them up into the truck and take them to that area. They were so prepared that they duct taped their clothing so that DNA wouldn't like fall off the clothing. And, like, leave behind a trace. Yeah. So they were entirely duct taped from, like, head to toe. Yeah, they taped All of their clothing. Their clothes. I I would assume they had hats on and gloves. Like, and so that nothing could even, like, fall off of their own clothes. 
It's those kinds of details. I mean, all of it is so like disgusting. Like real criminal. Yeah, shit. but just like they covered every fucking yeah. detail. That's mm-hmm. oh my god. So what happened was Dusty goes into the back door, unlocks it, and lets them in. Tony heads to the master where Becky and Rusty are sleeping. He flips on the light and they jump absolutely terrified of like who's in their house. They took them to a remote area of the Mark Twain forest. That was the area. And they got Rusty and Becky out of the car. They started walking them into the port where they, no one knew where they were. And they left Philip, their son, in the car. Philip said that he heard gunshots and 10 minutes later heard another. So he heard two gunshots. He heard one. 10 minutes later, heard another. 10 minutes later. What was happening in that 10 minutes? I don't know. Tony emerges minutes later and threatens Dusty and Philip with a gun to never talk about this and nobody gets caught. Nobody, no crime. His father said, don't ever say anything and we're good. This is your father, like your father and your mother. Wow. Wow. Okay, so now investigators like know who, but not why. Like who hired you? Yeah, who paid you, who, yeah. Philip then says the last thing the porters heard before they were shot was... Robert Campbell sends his regards. I fucking knew (laughs) Soup Dude was a part of this. I didn't trust him. Robert Campbell wishes that he was part of the Campbell Soup family. Yeah, he wishes. He fucking wishes, but instead he's just stealing four-wheelers. Yep. Motherfucker. (laughs) My fucking For over a house? That you just, you know. That's broken the fuck down? What are you doing? Because Rusty was a lazy first grader? I, wow, people. So Philip said Robert was upset by them moving into the family homestead, and he hired Tony and his family to take them out. Robert's alibi checked out because it was designed to. This was planned. He hired them as hip people, and him and his wife got in the car and headed to Texas, and he was like, well, no one's going to think it's me because I'm not here. And it was all planned. All of this was meticulously planned. After Philip's confession, Dusty and Tony take plea deals to avoid the death penalty and get life. Wendy elects to take her chances at trial and she fought till the end but got life. Can you imagine being that fucking narcissistic that you're like, I'm going to take my chances. I'm going to take my I'm going to see how it goes. Girl, I'm sure it'll work. Look how it worked out for them. What is wrong with you? The arrogance. Okay, go off. Whatever, whatever. Philip had a reduced sentence of 13 years for cooperating. Even though he was like fully involved in murdering these two people. Like like, didn't even talk at first and eventually, like, come on. Yeah. But I'm sure he talked because they were like, we have something on you. And if you talk, you'll get out eventually in your life. But no one else will. Yeah. I mean, so he was probably smart to do that. (laughs) Yeah. But also like you think too now, I don't know about Philip's life, but based on this situation, I would be like, no, he was an adult and he should have known better and in fact mm-hmm. you, you have to pay for your I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be in jail or pay for this but like what kind of life were you living like that this are your these are your parents yeah and and you made the choice to still be present like it's not like you needed to be with your parents you're an, yeah. a young adult like you could have he said I'm uncomfortable yeah you're uncomfortable you could have left you could have gotten help mm-hmm. and I know that you were probably in a threatening situation and there might not have been as much choice as we could imagine yeah because you're probably like really scared of your parents too of course like they're capable of things that humans shouldn't be capable of your dad is literally 
a, a known hitman hit in the in the area. Yeah, so I can imagine like I'm not justifying his actions whatsoever, but like there's definitely like some he's probably fearing for his own life as well. Yeah. 70-year-old Robert Campbell is still claiming innocence and he went to trial. Prosecutors knew it would be a tough case to prove because all of this was caused by a farmhouse. Like that's kind of Property. unbelievable. It's it's an object. Yeah. And yeah, that's Kay, disgusting. Rusty's mom and Robert's sister said that this was a horrible time, obviously, because her brother is being accused of murdering her son and daughter-in-law. But she's like, I still love my brother. Let's unpack that. <laughs> I mean, I'm a forgiving person. Yeah. But I don't know, man. Mm. You know, love is complicated. It is. And, you know, family ties are, I know, blood bonding to a lot of people, but... I don't think that I could defend somebody who was capable of yeah. being a part of that or doing something like that. Yeah. I just don't think that like I could look at them in the same way. But I think I don't know, but it like to me hearing that it feels like to me maybe she thought maybe he, there was part of her that didn't believe that he did it or he had right. anything to do with it. Denial too. Yeah, because if you knew your brother killed your baby, like I mean I don't I don't think you could possibly. Yeah. And if you do, yeah. I'm, I'm, I feel sorry for you. Like, I feel like you, you obviously have a lot of trauma there and there's like, that's really, really deep and you know, but I'm like, what I heard, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Like <laughs> even just the mere accusation. Right. Just the like, fact, how are you yeah. in this situation? Yeah. I, I just feel like that wouldn't even be on the table yeah. at all. If at this point in the case, like there's, there is evidence, there is testimony that his name was attached to this crime. Right. And whether or not there's evidence that he was the one that actually ordered the hit, he was associated with those criminals. They knew who he was. Yeah. There was a relationship. And I don't know about They're you. They're all blaming him. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but like, I don't know anybody who's capable of that. Yeah. I don't run in those circles. I don't choose to know those kinds of people. Yeah. And I think she wasn't willing to ask those questions to yeah. herself because she has some yeah. big T trauma. When you have Tony and Dusty in jail for life, like they're never getting out and they are like, no, it was your brother. What do they have to gain from this anymore? Yeah, It's over. Like it was your brother. Right. And yet she's like, I, st I still love my brother. And love is fucking complicated because you can love people that do the wrong thing and the like, the right. wrong thing and if you're grieving people and that's one more person you have to grieve yeah. because not that robert is dead but you are grieving the part of him that you thought you, you were grieving yes. who he thought he was yes and that is devastating yeah prosecutor jeff merrill is very uneasy with this whole case and he's like not sure which way it's gonna go which, you know, this is older man, you know, who's like on the train. He's like sick. And he, this isn't a slam dunk, even though I'm reading this now. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? But in this moment in time in Missouri with this older man on trial, it was not a slam dunk. So that's how you know prosecution felt. And the jury came back the next day after they settled in July 2016 saying Robert Campbell was found guilty on two counts of second-degree murder. He was sentenced to two life terms for the murder of Rusty and Becky, and all of this was triggered by their wedding gift, the farmhouse. Wow. Now I'm going to be really careful about the gifts that I choose for people. <laughs> so at sentencing, Corey, Becky's son, 
you know, the victim's families are offered the floor and they can say whatever they'd like to say. And I researched a lot of cases at this point and I'm looking forward to doing so many more. And I'm always blown away by the victim's families and friends who like speak on their behalf and the things they say. And I'm like, Oh my God, their pain and anguish, but also like their courage. And I'm like, it's just such a like humbling thing to listen to because it's so strong and it's, I'm always consistently blown away and I'm blown away by Corey too. So Corey, Becky's son said to the judge and Tony friend, Jesus loves you and will forgive you. All you have to do is accept him. And he hands Tony the person who killed his mother and stepfather, the Bible. He said that he couldn't carry around hate and anger, and he forgives him. He forgives them because that's what his mom would have done. Which, like, I'm going to fully be transparent. I'm a person. I'm a very imperfect person. I heard this, and it pissed me off. Yeah, It pissed me off, but then reading this again, I'm like, what a remarkable human being Corey is. Yeah. Because this happened to him. This did not happen to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm pissed. Like, I'm like, what the fuck? But like, he decided like he couldn't carry on this anger. And I don't think I could ever be that strong. I no. don't think so. I think I would carry that anger. Me too. And I don't think I would forgive. No. At all. But ever. he's like, he had such a strong faith that he believed that his life would be better if he was able to forgive the person who murdered his mother. That is so not in my vocabulary, and I hope that I'm never faced with anything remotely similar, but I'm really blown away by his strength and courage, and that's the kind of people you're like, I wish I could be that. I wish I could. And I do think that is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think that it would also be okay not to forgive them and to be angry. I, Of course, I advise everyone to lead with love, of course, but these are circumstances that I also don't know how I would react or feel like in the moment. Yeah, but. I mean, I'm sitting here saying like, right, like I would know and I have no idea. Exactly, but I do think I would be angry and I think it would be really hard for me to look them in the eye and say, I forgive you. But I do oh. commend, that is really, that is a commendable it is. and strong choice. So that is the case of Becky and Rusty Porter's ridiculously senseless murder over a greedy asshole and land so many lives were ruined for literally no reason no reason it's really sad that that is what is valuable to people yeah that is what people will protect is land and their physical houses i'm not talking about their homes talking not talking about their families and their heirlooms and their history i'm talking about Things with monetary value. Yeah. And things that they think they are entitled to. Yeah. Which is how America started. <laughs> so, yeah. And that is a mentality that that we will that we live with. That is how people value yeah. life is through material items and things that they think are theirs. And this like generational cycle where this man believed that he was the man of this family and like somehow controlled Rusty and Becky's life. Like he literally felt that he owned them Mm -hmm. and deserved to burst into their home whenever he felt like it and do whatever he wanted. I'm like the mindset of a person like that is a scary thing. So that's the case. Wow. There's not a ton of information about this case. on the. There's not a yeah. lot of media or press mm-hmm. surrounding it. There wasn't a ton of articles. I did find court transcripts and things like that, and I was able to like follow along. But it wasn't like a huge media sensation by any means. And so I don't think this is a story that's being told a lot, but 
it's all about greed. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm, all about greed. And I'm so happy that you're telling this story. Yeah. If it hasn't gotten as much recognition on media platforms, I think it probably means a lot to the mm-hmm. people who knew these people who died yeah. and to the fact that like justice might have been served, but it will never be enough. Never. And I'm, yeah, I'm so happy that I, again, had never heard of this case. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sure a lot of people who are listening have not. And so it's great to shed some light on things that people are not talking talk. about. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much Are you for, kidding? for letting me tell you the story. Thank and you. And for giving such like valuable feedback. Oh my gosh. And listening and laughing with me, obviously, about like other things than this. And um I'm sure you'll be back. I hope so. This was wonderful because I've been oh. loving the previous episodes and to get to be a part of it means a lot. Guys, so. she flew in just for this. Just <laughs> for this. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to say anything, but do you want me to be on your podcast? <laughs> It's perfect. So was thank perfect. you so much, Maria. And if you want to follow Maria Pedro mm-hmm. on social media, what's your handle? It's a Maria Graham. Uh-huh. Uh, and Graham is spelled G-R-A-M. It's a play on words because that's my middle name. Like, yes. So I'm like really clever. I love that name. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Wait. So follow her. She's like a multi-talented everything. Yeah, She's like great. an incredible writer, singer, actor, social worker, student. Oh, you do you. a million things. You you make me feel like I'm good at stuff. So thanks. Same. Because I'm trash. But it's fine. You're <laughs> complete trash. I love you. <laughs> I love All right. Too. So that is the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I will see you next time. See mm-hmm. you later. Hey, make sure you're following the True Crime Bride on social media. You can find me on Instagram at True Crime Bride, on TikTok at Megan Biles NYC, that's M-E-G-H-A-N. You can email me at truecrimebridepodcast at gmail.com. And if you would be so kind, please leave me a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This really helps the podcast and will help me keep delivering awesome episodes to you every week.